Hey, good morning, Orchard. Good morning. Hey, um, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles or on your mobile devices to Judges chapter 16. And it's okay if you don't have either of those because we're going to put the verses on the screen. You can follow along that way as well. But before we get started, I would just love to say how blessed and honored I am to be with here or be with you here on Father's Day. Can we give it up for our dads in the house? Dad, thank you so much. From all of us here at Orchard Church, thank you for all that you do. We love you. We appreciate you. We honor you. Thank you for leading. Thank you for loving. Thank you for guiding, for protecting, and for providing for your families. But but most of all, thank you for following Jesus and inspiring your families to do the same. Let's give it up one more time for Dad. Happy Father's Day, men. Happy Father's Day. Hey, Pastor Doug sends his love. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, he's using the month of June on the weekends to go out and visit some of the young pastors and church plants that we support here at Orchard Church. So today he's down with the Heights Church down in Denver with Corbin Hobbs. He's evaluating their church, uh, encouraging and being able to coach a young pastor. So it's a fantastic thing that our pastor can spend time growing the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, to start today, I want to ask you a question. How many of you believe that experience is a great teacher. How many of you would agree with that? Yeah, that's part of the reason we love dad, right? Because dad has experience and dad's a great teacher. But what's even better than our own experience is somebody else's experience. You see, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and I've learned a lot from those mistakes. But if I can learn anything from somebody else's mistakes, that's even better, amen? Amen, and it's in that spirit that we've gone through this series in Samson. So we look at Samson's mistakes so we don't make the same mistakes. If you're with me, say yes. 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 What we've learned so far is Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. And when we left him last week, he had just killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. That's just man stuff right there, right? the jawbone of a donkey. But he comes to his senses, he's in the desert, and he realizes, wait, there's no water here. I am now public enemy number one of the Philistines, and either they're going to kill me or I'm going to die out here of thirst. Either way, I need help from God. So he realizes that he needs help from God, and he cries out to God. And in that principle, we learn that if we let our deepest need drive us to God, God will meet our deepest need. And God did help Samson. If we turn to Judges, let's go back just a couple of verses to recap. Chapter 15, verse 19, we're going to see how God helped Samson. It says, so God caused water to to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi. And Samson was what church? Revived as he drank. Then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out, and it's still there to this day. So Samson cried out to God, and God met his need. And we move into verse 20. Samson judged Israel for how long? 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. If we're not careful as we're reading our Bible, we can read right past that verse. But it's an amazing verse, it really is, because in one verse, it captures 20 years of apparent faithfulness, that Samson has realized his need for God, he has cried out to God, God has met his need, and now Samson appears to be on the right track. He appears to be doing what God created him to do, 20 years of apparent 
faithfulness. And if that were the end of the story, wow, what a great story. But it's not the end of the story. By the time we're done here today, we're going to see Samson has been captured. His eyes gouged out. He's shackled with bronze chains. He's humiliated, and he's the laughing stock of his enemies. How does a man go from so strong with so much God-given potential, walking with God, doing what God has called him to do, to defeated, humiliated, and imprisoned. How did he mess his life up so badly? And the answer to that question is our big thought of today, and it's in your notes, that Samson didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined it one step at a time. And the title of our message today is Every Step matters. And most of us, and every step matters because most of us don't mess up our lives all at once. We mess it up, how church? One step at a time. And if we look at Samson's steps in Judges 16, we'll see how he did it. We start in verse 1. Verse 1 starts with one day. Everybody say one day. One day, one day Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. What? Excuse me? I'm sorry. What, what, what just happened? What just happened? He's walking along, he's faithful, and then one day he makes a very bad decision. It's interesting to me, if you know the story of King David, when he had the affair with Bathsheba, it starts out in the Bible the same way, that one day when kings are supposed to be off at war, David wasn't. He's wandering around the palace. He sees Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop. Bathsheba was another man's wife. He decides, ooh, that looks good. And that he begins to make bad decisions. You see, any of us can be faithful. Any of us can be doing what God created us to do. And then one day we can start making bad decisions. Let's look at verse two. It says, word soon spread that Samson was there. So Samson is here. Remember, these are Philistines. This is Gaza. Samson is here. So the men gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we will kill him. What I want you to understand in that verse is that Gaza is not just any city. Gaza was the headquarters of the Philistines. Samson didn't wander into a border town that, you know, some are good, some are for him and some are against him. He wandered right into leadership square. And you have to understand, he's public enemy number one of the Philistines. The other thing I want you to understand is Gaza was 25 miles from Zorah, which was Samson's hometown, which is where he was. It went 25 miles. Now also understand, there were no buses or cars or helicopters. There was no Samson Express to get him there. He walked 25 miles right into the heart of enemy territory, risked 20 years of faithfulness to sleep with a prostitute. And that leads to the question. Who could be so dumb to risk so much for so little? And the answer is people do it every single day. So this week I was thinking, as I was preparing for this message, that, hey, Samson had to walk 25 miles. I wonder how many steps are in 25 miles. So I put on my Fitbit and I walked 25, no, I didn't. I actually sat in my office and I Googled how many steps are in 25 miles. And here's what I came up with. There are approximately 56,250 steps 
in 25 miles. So it's 56,250 of these to go 25 miles. What's interesting about that is Samson had 56,250 opportunities to go. This is really stupid. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? The last time I went into Philistine territory, it didn't turn out well. But instead, he kept going one step at a time. Most of us, that's the deal, is we don't mess up our lives all at once. We mess it up one step at a time. I've never met anybody that has said, you know what? My five-year plan is to be broke. Not just broke, I mean like, like mega broke. Like legendarily broke. Nobody says that. But instead, here's what happens. Oh, credit card offer. Okay. Well, I don't get the points or the miles if I don't use it. So, hey, let's use it. Uh, buying stuff I don't need, stuff that I can't afford. Uh, well, now I qualify for a car. It's a big car, but man, it's nice. Big house, and maybe it's a little more, but I, I, I believe the things are going to happen. And vacation I can't afford, and boats, and all of those things. We take step after step after step until we find ourselves in massive debt. We don't get there all at once. How do we get there, church? We get there one step at a time. Same with addiction. Addiction. Nobody says, hey, I really, really want something other than the Spirit of God to control my life. Nobody says that. But instead what happens is, oh, hey, that looks kind of cool. Yeah, hey, I'll give that a shot. Oh, wow, that was really amazing. Um, well, I've already done it once. Maybe it doesn't hurt if I do it again. Well, I can stop anytime I want. Well, okay, you don't understand. I needed to cope. It happens one step at a time. Nobody tries to ruin their life, but it happens one step at a time. And the Word of God shows us three steps that Samson took. And we're going to call these Samson's small steps to his big destruction. Small steps to his big destruction. The first one was, and this is in your notes, that Samson underestimated his enemy. Samson underestimated his enemy. If we pick the story back up in verse 3, now we know that Samson is, is with the, the, the prostitute there in Gaza. The, the Philistines are waiting for him at the town gate, said, in the morning, we're going to kill him, but Samson's smart. Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. Then he got up and he took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts. He lift them, lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. I want you to understand this. These weren't your $39 hollow core Home Depot doors. I read one commentary that said these doors weighed about 700 pounds. These were the doors, the main entrance to the town of Gaza. And Samson, he got apparently tipped off that the men were waiting to kill him in the morning. So he goes out in the middle of the night. And you know what? He could have just snuck out and saved himself. But he makes a decision. He makes a decision to take the doors, posts, bar, and all, put them on his shoulders, and walk what scholars say is several miles to the top of the hill of Hebron and drops them there. Now, why did he do that? Because he was taunting his enemy. He was taunting his enemy. He said, you know what? You think you're safe? You think you're safe? You're not safe with me around. You're not safe with me around. Because those doors were the symbol of their security. Those doors were the symbol of their protection. And it was an insult for him to take those off and take them all the way to the hill that overlooked Hebron. 
He was taunting his enemy. He was underestimating his enemy. And I have a story about underestimating an enemy in my life that led to my public humiliation. You want to hear it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course you do. Come on. So way back in the 1990s, <laughs> sounds like a long time when you say that, right? So way back then, I was a pretty decent high school wrestler. I wasn't great, but I was pretty good. Um, and it's my senior year. It's 1991. And my junior year, I had won the league and district tournaments, and I had made it all the way to the state quarterfinals before I lost to the eventual state champion. So now it's my senior year, and I'm thinking, man, this is my year. I am going to compete for a state title. And I started out um, the first two tournaments of the year, I did really well. And the third tournament of the year was significant because it was the Caliche High School Invitational, and Caliche High School was my home high school. It was our home tournament. And I think, man, I am the man. I am the man. I thought I was a five foot, five inch, 129 pound version of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> this is what I thought I looked like. In actuality, this is a lot closer to what I really looked like. <laughs> Nacho! But in my mind, I was the man, and it's the Caliche High School Tournament. It's my home tournament. I had never in my career won the Caliche Invitational, and I was going to win it this year. I came into that tournament. I was the number one seed in my bracket. I had a first round bye, so I'm hanging out with the home crowd, watching other people wrestle, and, and so it came my time to wrestle, and I did, I did really well in my first two matches, so I end up in the championship match. And I look, at the bracket, and who I'm facing in the championship match is a kid that I pinned in the district tournament the year before. So what did I think? I got this. I got this. And so that was my mindset. And so there's this kind of ritual that in high school wrestling that as your match approaches, you get up and you start warming it up, and supposedly it's to loosen up, but really it's an intimidation ritual that as your opponent's on the other side of the mat, you stare him down and you're bouncing the muscles out and you're shaking, but the whole time you're staring right at him. And I was gonna win that match before we ever stepped on the mat because I knew I could beat the kid and I knew he was probably afraid of me, so I stared him down the whole time. The only time I glanced even away was to see if the cheerleaders were watching me. <laughs> and they weren't, but. So now, and I, guys, I've got my Walkman on who remembers Walkman? <laughs> I've got my Walkman on. I, it, it, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a great grandpa of the iPod. And it played cassette tapes. And, and I would explain those, but we don't have time. But I had my Guns N' Roses cassette. I had Axl Rose in my ears. And I am ready. And so the match comes. And, and I, man, out on the mat, run out on the mat, give the dismissive handshake. The match starts. We dance around for a little bit. And finally, I decide, you know what? I've had enough. I'm taking this guy down. And so I think I can just overpower him. So I shoot in. And what I didn't realize is while I was underestimating him, he was ready for me. He was really ready for me. He came with a move called a cow catcher. And I'm not going to bore you with the details of this move, but just suffice it to know that in a cow catcher, you don't want to be the cow and I was the cow. And so I shoot in, and he hits me with a cow catcher and flips me, and as my feet fly through the air, 
and I land flat on my back, every molecule of oxygen goes out of my body. I can't breathe. And the cow catcher is, it more aptly would be named a cow strangler because it got you around the neck and you, you can't breathe. So I had this unfortunate choice between losing and breathing. <laughs> I chose breathing and I got beat in my home tournament, humiliated, pinned in the first period at the Cleachy Invitational because I underestimated my enemy. Now that was a really long story to tell you this. When we underestimate our enemy, we let our guard down. And when we let our guard down, bad things happen. You end up with a choice between losing and breathing. We have to be alert. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's what I want you to know. You are close to God's heart. And because you are close to God's heart, you have a spiritual enemy. And your spiritual enemy, Satan, does not like you. He hates you because he hates God. And he doesn't want to just hurt you a little bit. He doesn't want to just distract you. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour us. He wants to do everything he can to hurt us. And most of the time, that's not going to happen all at once. It's going to happen how? One step at a time. So Samson taunted his enemy. He let his guard down. He underestimated them. He didn't plan to fail, but he thought he was invincible. He walked 56,250 steps straight into the heart of enemy territory. He defied God by doing something he wasn't supposed to do. He insulted his enemy by ripping off the doors and taking them miles and miles away. And he thought he could just walk out unscathed. He was taunting his enemy. And it's not smart. Now, the way we do that today, we kind of do the same thing. Young people, let's say that you are... Uh, different than the world, and you want to remain sexually pure before you get married. You want to save yourself from marriage, and that's great. But then you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you start putting yourself in situations where that temptation is harder and harder to say no to. You're underestimating your enemy. You're taunting your enemy. Or let's say you're married, and your job takes you on business trips away from home, and you go to a business trip and you have a great meeting, you're all alone, you're away from your accountability, and they, somebody says, hey, let's all go out for drinks afterwards, and sure, and you have two, three, four, five, six drinks, and there are members of the opposite sex all around doing the same thing. If you're putting yourself in that situation, you're taunting your enemy, you're underestimating your enemy. The problem is, is we think we can handle it. Samson thought he could handle it. We think we're strong, but if we're not careful, we can fall. 1 Corinthians 10:12 says it this way. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So Samson's first step to big destruction was he underestimated his enemy. His second step, and this is in your notes as well, is he overestimated himself. He overestimated himself. Remember the first week? First thing we see Samson doing is pursuing a Philistine woman, something that was forbidden by God because they were the enemies of Israel. They worshiped a false god. And so Samson's not supposed to pursue and marry a Philistine woman. But what does he do? He pursues and tries to marry a Philistine woman. His parents tell him, don't do it. He says, no, 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 no. She looks good to me. 
I want her. Get her for me. And against the objection of his parents, he goes ahead and he, he, he does this. And it didn't turn out well. We learned last week that he succumbs to his pride and his anger. And in that, he burns all of the grain fields of the, of the Philistines. And in turn, the Philistines burn his wife and her father alive. It didn't turn out well for him. But here we see Samson in verse 4 really going back to the same old sin and this time thinking he can handle it. 16.4 says this, Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named... Del no, you've got to say Delilah. Delilah. I need Marcial to come up here and say that for me. Um, Delilah, who lived in the Valley of Sorek. The Valley of Sorek is in Philistine territory. So this is the third time in Scripture that we see, we see Samson messing around with a Philistine woman. He's rationalizing the same old sin, and we often do the same thing. I don't know about you guys, but... For a lot of us, it's like, hey, I'm a good person. This is just kind of my one thing. Kind of my one thing that I, I do. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Nobody should care. It shouldn't be any of their business. I'm a good guy. This is my one thing. And we rationalize it. I deserve it. I want it. I can handle it. It's the same story. We overestimate ourselves. We rationalize the same old sin. And we make ourselves vulnerable, just like Samson is about to. In verse 5, it says, The rulers of the Philistines went on, or went to her, and said, her being Delilah, and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and, he, and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. And then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. There were five Philistine rulers, by the way, so that was 5,500 pieces of silver. It was about 28 pounds worth. So that was a lot of money. She was in, so she was to entice Samson to give this underestimated enemy a way to attack. So you see, because Samson underestimated his enemy and then overestimated himself, he made himself vulnerable by giving his underestimated enemy a way to attack through Delilah. And for the next eight verses, we see this game going back and forth between Samson and Delilah. And it goes a little bit something like this. Delilah says, show me the secret of your great strength. Sorry, that's the only time I'll do that, I promise. Um, show me the secret of your great strength. And Samson toys with her. He says, you know what? It's brand new bowstrings, brand new bowstrings. If you tie me up with brand new bowstrings, I become as weak as any other man. So Samson goes to sleep, and Delilah has him tied up with seven bowstrings. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up, roar, and breaks out of it. And then the next time, Samson comes back and says, don't lie to me. Why do you lie to me? Why do you toy with me? Tell me the secret of your great strength. And he goes, okay, well, it's new ropes, brand new ropes, ropes that have never been used. Tie me up with those, and I'll be as weak as any other man. So Samson falls asleep, and she has him tied up with seven new ropes. And then, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And he wakes up, roar, shakes, breaks him free, shakes himself free. And then the third time, she's like, look, Tell me the secret. Don't lie. Tell me the secret of your great strength. And he says, it's my hair. And he's getting close. He's getting close to telling. But he says, if you weave the fabric, or if you weave my hair into the fabric that's on your loom, and you tighten it with the loom sh shuttle, what I'm learning is Samson was a very deep sleeper, right? That's what I learned through all, Samson's a very deep sleeper. Anyway, you tighten it with the shuttle of the loom, you weave my hair in there, I'll be as weak as any other man. 
So he falls asleep, and Samson does that, or Delilah does that, weaves his hair in there, tightens it with the loom shuttle, and then, Samson, the Philistines are here, and he gets up, roar, shakes himself free. And he's toying with her. He's overestimating his ability to resist her. He keeps going back, putting himself in the same situation. What he didn't count on was that Delilah would throw the trump card in verse 15. 16.15 says this, then Delilah pouted. She pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now. I'm only trying to kill you. No, that doesn't say that. You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. You still haven't told me what makes you so strong. Sorry. Um, what comes next is, is classic. Come here. Verse 16. <laughs> Verse 16. She tormented him with her what? Nagging. Day after day until he was sick to death of it. Some of you want me to touch that. I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> but I will say this. Young people, young men, if you're dating a woman and considering her for marriage, and she says to you her life verse is Judges 16, 16, <laughs> run. Don't walk, for God's sake, run. Run far, run fast. But all kidding aside, here's what I want you to know. Samson was strong enough to kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. He was strong enough to rip a lion apart with his bare hands. He was strong enough to take 700 pound set of doors and carry it for miles just to prove a point. But he wasn't strong enough to lead a woman. Just gonna let that sink in for a minute. See, here on Father's Day, men, Here's what I want you to know. We can't just be strong in business. By all means, be strong in business. Be strong in the workplace. We can't just be strong in sports. Can't just be strong in hobbies. Be strong in all those things. But first and foremost, we have to be strong in righteously leading our families to honoring God in all that we do. First and foremost, we have to point our families to Jesus. If you're with me, say yes. 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 So verse 17, let's pick it back up. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. She wore him down. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. Remember his Nazarite vows. Don't drink alcohol, don't touch anything unclean, and don't cut your hair. Second part of that verse says this. If my head were shaved, my strength would what? Would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. And yes, I understand the irony that I'm teaching that verse right now. <laughs> but you know what, I love the first part of that verse, because he says, you know what, I was set apart for God as a Nazarite. It's almost like he's glimpsing back and remembering who he was. And I would say very respectfully today that we often forget who we are what we have to understand is, is, is we weren't just put on this earth to take up space. We weren't just put on this earth to be semi-successful at a job. We weren't just put on this earth to just raise children. 
By all means, we should do all those things and we should do them very well. But we were put on this earth to use the gifts, the callings, and the passion that God has given us to glorify Him and make a difference in this world. If you're with me, say yes. We, sometimes we just got to say, I was made for more than this. And Samson's almost glimpsing back that way. But then he says, well, secret of my strength, it's in my hair. Verse 18 says this, Delilah realized that he had finally told her, he'd finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers, come back one more time, for he has finally told me his secret. So the Philistine rulers returned with the money in their hands. Verse 19 says, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head on her lap, and then she called a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair, and in this way she began to bring him down, and what? His strength left him. His strength left him. How did he end up here? Not all at once, but one step at a time. Every step matters. Every single step matters. He didn't mess up what he had all at once. He messed it up one step at a time. He underestimated his enemy. He overestimated himself. And the third step that Samson took, and this is in your notes, is he miscalculated the cost of his disobedience. Disobedience to God has a cost. Whether we like to think of it that way or not, it does. There's a saying that says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will make you stay longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Samson assumed his disobedience would never cost him. Look at verse 20. Then, she, then Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. Remember, she shaved his head. The Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I'll just do as before, and I'll shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. I'll just shake myself free. He didn't realize that his strength was gone. He said, I've done this three times before. I'll just do it again. But this time it was different. This time the Lord had left him to the consequence of his sin. And here's the tragedy in verse 21. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. And they took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Remember Gaza? Gaza is where he ripped the doors off. Gaza is where he insulted his enemy's honor. Now he's back there humiliated. Grinding grain in prison. How did he get there? He got there by one step at a time, by underestimating his enemy, by overestimating himself, and by miscalculating the cost of his disobedience. He put himself in a situation where he had a really bad choice to make. Every step matters, and Samson didn't ruin his life all at once. He ruined it with a series of small steps, each one taking him further away from God. And I want you to remember, we started this message by agreeing that Experience is a great teacher, but other people's experience is even better. And we'd be doing ourselves a disservice today if we didn't learn from the mistakes of Samson. He ruined his life by stepping away from God, not all at once, little by little. So this is going to be a, a bit of a moment of truth. And I want to sincerely and humbly ask this question. I want you to be really, really honest in your hearts. Answer this in your own heart. Where are you stepping away from God? Where are you stepping away from God? It could be step one, or it could be step 56,249. 
But where are you stepping away from God? You see, as a, it might be as simple as, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm here at church today, but I don't spend any time in God's word. Or I don't spend any time in prayer. Our hair is still long. The outward symbol is still there, but our heart is drifting. Or maybe there's something that you're holding against somebody. Maybe you have some unforgiveness in your heart. God has forgiven us of so much. He's forgiven you of so much. But you refuse to forgive somebody who has hurt you. Your hair is still long, but your heart is drifting. Or maybe it's the emotions of anger and pride or lust or greed. Or maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's any of those things. You see something getting increasing control over your life that is not the Spirit of God. If you see that, we have to be honest with ourselves and with God. Because here's the, the, a key truth and, and the thought that's in your notes is we are only as strong as we are honest. We're only as strong as we're all, as we are honest. So I want to be really, I want you to be really honest with God and with yourself and answer that question. And, and I'm going to summarize this message the best way that I know how in one moment with one picture. It's the best picture I can give you. So if you're stepping away from God in any way, if you're stepping away from God in any way, it's step one or step number five or step number 500 or 5,000. If you're stepping away from God in any way, and here's the message, please, please, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Here's the message. If you're stepping away from God in any way, what should you do? What should you do? You should turn around. We should turn around. We should turn around. We should turn around. And I want you to know it's not too late. If you have breath in your lungs, it's not too late to turn around. Wherever you may be stepping away from God, it's not too late. And it really is that simple. And get this, when you turn around, who's there? God's there. Our God is there. Why? Because he's that good. It doesn't matter if it's step one or if it's step number 56,249. When you turn around, your God is there with open arms, with mercy, with love, with grace. Not judgment, not condemnation, but with mercy. He's there. He's that good. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And look, I want to show you what is the most exciting and grace-filled verse in this whole story. So what was the symbol of Samson's inward devotion to God? His, his hair. What did he just get cut? He got his hair cut, right? What is he now? Bald. I was going to say publicly shamed, but it, you know, some people, that's the same thing. He's bald. But God in his mercy... God in his grace, he puts one verse in scripture that captures the love that he has for Samson. One verse, Samson's head is shaved, he's humiliated, but verse 22 says this, but before long, his hair began to what? Grow back. His hair began to grow back. Why is that verse there? Why is that verse there? Because God's grace is just that good. Even though Samson outwardly disobeyed God several times, he took all these steps away from him, and now he's publicly shamed and humiliated. Even though he outwardly defied God, God said, that which gives you strength will grow again. And that leads us to our last thought, and it's in your notes. 
that every step matters, but the step toward God matters most. So no matter where we're stepping away from God, we have to have the courage to turn around because God's grace is waiting for you. And that which gives you strength, it's not our hair now, it's our relationship with the Lord, will be strengthened. It will grow again. So you may feel this distance between you and God, but all it is is turning around and receiving mercy and grace. Because God is that good. Let's bow our heads. In an attitude of prayer, if, you were, if you're here today and you would say, you know, I know Jesus, Ryan, but if I'm really honest with myself and I'm really honest with God, there is at least one area of my life where I am stepping away from Him. But today I would love to make the decision to turn around, to receive His grace, to receive His mercy, to walk into His open arms and to be loved in that way. If you're here today and you say, yes, there is an area I'm walking, I have been walking away from God, but I want to turn around. Will you lift your hand with me? I'd love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. My hand's up too. My hands, hands everywhere, hands everywhere. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty and your courage. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these. Thank you for these who, who want to run and turn to you. Thank you for the decision to turn around and receive your mercy, receive your grace, because you are that good. You are a good God, and you love us more than we could ever comprehend, we could ever fathom, we could ever understand. So we receive your mercy and your grace today, and we turn from our sin, and we turn toward you, and we receive everything that you have for us. With every head still bowed and nobody looking around, if you're here today and, and you've never made the first step, you've never taken the most important step, which is to enter a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the way we call upon the name of the Lord is through prayer. So in a minute, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I want you to pray along in your heart. It's not magic words. It's not a magic prayer. But it's the faith behind the words that make it real and make it meaningful. And when you mean it, you are saved. So if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus in your life as Lord and Savior, just repeat after me in your heart. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you lived a sinless life. That you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And that you conquered death and rose from the grave that I might have eternal life. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you for saving me. I receive it. While we're still in an attitude of prayer with every head bowed, every, eyes, every eye closed, nobody looking around but me, if you prayed that prayer in your heart today and you meant it, I don't want you to stand up or come up or I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like, with nobody looking around, on the count of three, I would love the privilege to pray for you. So if you would raise your hand on the count of three, to indicate that you accepted Christ today, we'll pray together. 
One, two, three. Lift them up nice and high. Nice and high. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. See your hand, young person. Thank you. See your hands. Thank you. Down here to the right. Thank you. I see your hands. I see your hand. Thank you. We can celebrate this church. This is great. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. So I'm going to pray for you. Those who raised your hands, I'm going to pray for you. While I'm praying for you, I would love it if you would do this. There is one very practical step that you can take that's going to help you on your newfound walk with Jesus. If you'll pull that connection card out of the newsletter while I'm praying for you, fill out your name, fill out your mailing address. We have a booklet to send you in the mail called Seven Steps to Joy, and that's going to help you in your newfound walk with Jesus Christ. The other thing that's going to do is going to let us pray for you by name. So please fill that out, drop it in the offering bucket as it goes around at the end of service. But let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for these who have made decisions for you today. Thank you for new members of the family, of your family, Lord God. I thank you that you will pull alongside these, that you will bring them into your loving and open arms, and you will be with them. Thank you for their salvation. Thank you for their next steps. I thank you that you're going to do great and mighty things in and through their lives. But we just bless them and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Orchard Church. Thank you. Awesome. Great job, buddy. Awesome. Cool. Well, hey, can we just give it up one more time for all the decisions that were made here this morning? Let's give it up. That's awesome. Praise God. Well, hey, um, if you said yes to Jesus today, we just ask, please fill out that connection card, which is in your newsletter. That's the best way for us to be able to follow up with you. Uh, Please put your name and your address down. Uh, We want to be able to follow up. Uh, Like I said, that kind of does two different things for us. Number one, we can pray for you specifically by name. And then number two, what Ryan was talking about, we want to send you a free gift in the mail. That's seven steps of joy. I'm just kind of as a way for you to continue walking with Jesus. Uh, If you are a first time guest here at Orchard Church, we want to say welcome. We are so excited that you are here. Uh, Please fill out that connection card as well. Go ahead and put that in the offering bucket as it passes by. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, we want to send you a free gift in the mail as well and a thank you letter. Also, uh, for every first time guest connection card that we receive, we donate $5 to um, Life Choices Pregnancy Center. So really, really cool. Um, Also, a reminder, in your newsletter, we have the Be the Church inserts that you guys probably see. Um, Remember, July 2nd, we are not having church. Um, Instead, we're going to be the church by uh, going and helping out with Timmy Elementary School. Uh, We're going to be be painting and raking and doing a lot of community service work. So please, if you want to join us on that day, please fill that out. You can put that in the offering bucket as it passes by. And then uh, last but not least, Father's Day, uh, for all you dads out there, don't forget, stop by the White Tent just outside to receive a free gift from Orchard Church uh, for all of our awesome dads here. Um, Well, let's go ahead and do this. Everybody, um, let's go ahead and everybody stand as we close in a song of worship. We take up our tithes and offerings. Um, We always say it all the time. Doug says it every single week. Uh, We want to be a church who gives first, saves second, and then lives on the rest. Have you guys been enjoying the Samson series? It's been awesome, right? Praise God been really speaking to me through it as well. Uh, Well, next week, you guys, we conclude our series of Samson. So really looking forward to it. Uh, But in the meantime, love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Love you.